my daughter Faith, she's nine, she's really into clay right now. Um, she does stop motion, she does um, claymation, uh, she makes these amazing guys that are like so cool. Like he's got a bow tie, right? She makes babies, she makes little kids. And then she does like claymation where the starts out as a baby and she did a balloon sound like when you turn it and it goes that was the baby crying and then it grew to a little boy and the dad picks him up and then he's off to college and I'm like what you're nine right and I'm like destiny snake you know like look there's a mouth all right snake you know so faith is um, amazing. She uses this clay that was originally used by those folks over in Europe that did Wallace and Gromit. Um, it's called plasticine, of course, because they can't call it clay like we do. They're like, well, we use plasticine, you know? It sounds much more sophisticated to call it plasticine. So that is what this is. This is from, we ordered it from across the pond and got it for her and uh, it's hard when you first start out but as you get the warmth of your fingers on it and you start to move it and mold it it becomes softer and more malleable as it gets worked in a creator's hand right you guys know where i'm going with this a little bit if you have your bibles turn with me to jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, and remember L-O-R-D in caps is Yahweh. This is Yahweh speaking to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was often used by the Lord to bring, he was the, called the weeping prophet because he had to bring all this judgment from Yahweh to the people and they would like beat him up and put him in stocks. So they call him the weeping prophet. Yahweh said, arise, go down to the potter's house and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. And the wheel it's talking about is like a potter's wheel we have today, but there wasn't electricity. So there were two flat disks, and the bottom one he would turn with his foot, and then the upper one would spin. I have a picture of it. Is it back there? There we go. He would turn it with his foot, and then the upper one would spin. So he goes down to the potter, potter's house, and he had put something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it. He remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot or pull down or even destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. I'll change my mind. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or a kingdom to build it up 
or to plant it. But if it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house. He sees the clay being shaped and molded into a vessel. And he knew as he watched the potter with the clay that he was the clay. The clay was him and humanity and all of Israel, the nation. In Isaiah 64, 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. As Jeremiah is watching the potter, there's an imperfection in the clay that, that ruins it. It could be a bubble. It could be something that just it wasn't right. And he crumbles it up, puts it back on, and begins to reshape it again into something that pleased him, into something that fit his vision and his purpose for what he was trying to create. And God says, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And then he goes on to say, like I read, I might think about destroying a nation and I'm going to smash it and start new. But if it repents, if it, if it turns from its ways, I'm going to relent. Or I can choose, I'm going to plant it and build it up. But if they just keep doing evil and they keep sinning and they won't listen to me, I'm, I'm going to change my mind there and not do that. It's like God is holding this clay and talking about it. Just like the clay, just like the potter crumpled it up, God's like, I can do that too with you guys. These were really harsh words of judgment that God ended up speaking to Judah through Jeremiah. Judah had turned away. It was actually the people of Judah were sacrificing their children to idols in the fire and things like that. They had really turned away from Yahweh. They had forgotten him. And God is implying that there's an impending judgment coming to Judah that might be averted if they turn from their sin. God's always reaching out that hand. Um, Unfortunately, we see in verse 12 that the people decide to keep going their own way and doing their own thing. I think it's important to point out that God wants to relent. The word in Hebrew is naham. To cease a particular course of action, usually with a focus that a gracious act has occurred. It also carries with it this definition of comforted. To be in a state or condition of finding a measure of relief from sorrow and distress. And some scholars think that that, that it's as if God is saying, look, if you guys turn and relent and turn from your evil ways, I'm going to heave a huge sigh of relief. I'm going to be so relieved I don't have to bring this judgment on you. That's, that's how he is. He doesn't want to punish. He wants to build up good things. He wants to build up good plans. I felt like someone here this morning, you kind of see God as this God of judgment, and that's kind of it. Like, he's ready to just throw down lightning bolts. He's watching you, and the minute you make a mistake, he's like, ka-chow. Right? I just realized that was... A reference to the Cars movie. You can tell I have three kids because that's his lightning bolt. That's funny. Awesome. That he's ready to just zap you because God's this big old oaf of judgment that's going to get you. And that's just not true. He longs to bless us. He longs to bless us.
He always hopes for repentance. In 2 Chronicles 7, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and they pray and they seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, this is his promise, then I will hear from heaven. He will hear us from heaven, okay? And will forgive their sin and heal our land. That sin? Yes, that sin. What about that sin? Yes, that sin. He will heal our land and forgive our sins. He's passionate about his creation. He desires for it to be everything he knows it can be. How many creative, crafty people do we have here? You have a vision for how you want it to look. My sister that's here, she does all the costuming for the Three Crosses big productions. I guarantee she has a vision for how she wants that stage to look and how she wants those costumes to look. And she will work it and rework it and pull it out and restart it to get it to fit the purposes that she has for it. So since God told Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and watch the potter, and then he makes it clear he's the potter, I decided to study pottery and potters uh, to see what it can teach us about God. And I... In a little bit, I'm going to pull up a mug that I have that's a potter's mug. I just forgot to bring it up here. The Hebrew word for potter is the same word used when God forms man or the earth. It's the word yatsar. To form, fashion, creator, maker, potter. The same word. And as I read the words of potters, I got all these library books and I studied and read... um, As I read the words of potters, I was amazed at the passion and the heart that goes into their craft. There were so many spiritual parallels um, that you can't deny them. So that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about today. So I'm going to read you some quotes from some potters. Like, this is what they do. And I want you to think of God as the potter as I read these. There's this intimacy, number one, that they have with their clay. One said, working with clay affords us the opportunity to achieve an intimacy with each aspect of our work and through deepening our personal involvement, extends our sensitivities. A potter is intimately acquainted with each step of the process. From the moment they dig the clay till it's on the wheel and they're making it, that's us. All of us, all of you, God is intimately acquainted from the moment you were born till now. He's he's seen every part of the process. You're not mass-produced to be like everyone else. You're unique. And I watched a video, there's actually a video on YouTube of the mass production of coffee mugs, of all things, because I was looking to see that, and there is one. And it was like conveyor belt, as you would imagine. There was no love. There was no thought of purpose. There was no intimacy. It was just, everything was thrown into this 3,000 pound, this barrel that could hold 3,000 pounds of stuff, mixed up, put in molds, and then coming through the conveyor belt, everything looked exactly the same. Next, next, right? That's not who we are. God is intimately acquainted with every part of you as he molds you as the potter. And we know in Psalm 139, he knows you from inside your mother's womb. Secondly, they have a contempt for the false. 
They say people who fabricate materials for their pieces reject good clay under feet for the sterile and featureless industrial offerings. They're all about the clay. It's just about the simplicity of the natural clay. They don't want other stuff in there. And there's a need for integrity. This is another quote. You maintain a respect for your material, your clay, and your craft by not resorting to the common stratagem of faked appearances, such as that of simulating a natural clay in a blended industrial composition. It is hardly worth the erosion of artistic integrity when natural appearance is so freely available. These guys are like passionate about clay, these potters that work with clay. It's not worth it to add in a bunch of other stuff when you have clay right there. And this tells me that we need to be real. Just be you. Be real. God wants to mold you to be you. Not the woman next to you, not the woman you watch on TV, not the woman you see on Instagram. The you he envisions for you. Nothing false. He doesn't want the world blended in. He doesn't want what your peers say about you blended in. He doesn't want what your ex-boyfriend says about you blended in. Or who the devil whispers you are. He doesn't want that. He wants pure clay. He's molding you into the you that he first created you to be. There are also some cool spiritual parallels when you look at the process of making pottery. Clay comes from the earth, like us. And potters appreciate clay because they say, while it's strong, rigid, and durable in the fired state, it is highly malleable, uniquely responsive to the artist's touch, and generally easy to work throughout the formation stages. Does anyone else feel like when God's working on you that you could say, I'm generally easy to work? That's what I thought. I'm like, I'm generally easy to work when the Father's trying to work with me, you know? So feel the clay on your table. Everyone has clay on your table. You can pick up one of the little strings or whatever. It's going to respond to the heat in your hands. The motion of your fingers. Even your fingerprints are going to be seen as you work it and warm it. So here's what I'm going to do. You ladies are going to have one to two minutes to make something with that little string of clay. It can be done. I tested my husband and he made an awesome jet. So, or it was a Star Wars fighter, something nerdier. But, um, so you're going to have one to two minutes. It's going to be small. I realize that. And then, so you can't go grab all the clay and then make like, you know, Mona Lisa or something. So, um, one to two minutes, and then if you feel like you could win something, then when I say walk over, I want you to just take your piece and put it on that table back there. And then while you guys are going through the discussion questions, my distinguished panel of judges will look, and one of you will receive this awesome mug that I can't find, so I'm going to go look for it, and I'll show it to you. So you have one minute, go. So... 
Um, it's this big red mug and it's been thrown on the wheel. Now I will tell you, I paid five times as much as I pay for your mugs that I give away at TJ Maxx because the value is different when it has been handmade, handcrafted, and not mass produced, right? Same as you ladies. Your value, you've been handcrafted, uniquely made with a specific purpose, the coloring, the personality, the shape, everything, God has designed so that makes you more valuable. He did not mass produce you. And so I have this awesome mug for whoever wins that. We'll get this awesome mug that is red, that is, has been handmade. So during discussion, my judges will go over there and check it out. So before it can be used, Clay has to be prepared, like us. Before God can use you, he's going to do some preparation. Number one, the potter's going to dig up the clay. I'm going to tell you the process. Potter digs up the clay, and then he allows it to dry. And then he breaks large lumps out of it with a hammer. I have had that happen from the Lord. Those lumps, right? He breaks the large lumps out, and then he leaves it to dry in the sun and the wind. Has anyone been there? You are broken and in the desert. Lord, why have you left me? I am broken and in the desert. And then the potter immerses it in water to saturate it and hydrate it. Because did you know that dry clay is more receptive to water? It absorbs it easier. Dry seasons sometimes leave us feeling bitter and abandoned. But with clay, there is a purpose. It's often after a dry season that we are more responsive to God, more responsive to the Holy Spirit. Next, after it's hydrated, they mix it into a slurry and stirring it to keep dispersing all the lumps. I just, for some reason, I love that metaphor, like lumpy Christians, like God's trying to do this work and he's like, we all got our lumps, right? And he's working them out. It needs a ton of water at this stage, a ton of water. And whenever I hear water, I think about the Holy Spirit, right? We read about the living water, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit being poured out on us. When God begins to prepare a place in your life that he wants to reshape, perhaps even breaking it down, pounding out some lumps, drying out that area, the Holy Spirit is going to come. It's going to saturate you as God prepares to shape you. Next, the mixture is strained. It's sifted of impurities before the clay can be used. And this it's like gets down to the nitty-gritty. When you're in the sifting part, there's some nitty-gritty stuff where God's going to kind of drill down and say, even that has to go. I was a smoker for a long time. It's a gray area. I realized that. I was at a church and a pastor said, I'll never forget it. It was years ago and years before I quit smoking still. But he said, if it's a gray area, get rid of it. Why even have a gray area? And the Lord had told me to stop smoking. But it's like getting down to those areas that it may or may not be bad, 
but there's a little part of you that's like, this is something I need you to get rid of. He's sifting impurities out. Maybe bad thoughts, maybe just some omissions, you know, where you're not telling the truth, but God's going to get to the stuff only you know about and start to sift those impurities out. And then after all that, the clay is finally ready to be kneaded, but it's not like this gentle, like pulling taffy process. It's like they pound it into a ball and they put all their force into it. And then they have different ways of, there's like a screw press and a pug mill and all sorts of weird names for very barbaric ways of working with the clay as it's being kneaded. They need to disperse the pockets of soft and stiff clay to even things out. So it's easy to work with, even things out spiritually and emotionally is kind of what I think of. And then it brings all the bubbles of air to the surface. And you might think a bubble in the clay, what's the big deal if there's a bubble in my clay? Well, what about when I make a bowl and the bubbles on the outside edge when that's fired, that bubble becomes a hole in the middle of the side. That's just going to make it break. They become pockets of weakness when the work is completed. So the kneading might be uncomfortable and sometimes painful, but it's important. I kind of see it as character work where he's working through those things because he doesn't want you to have pockets of weakness, especially into the things he's taking you into, the purposes he has for you, the platforms or the ways that you're gonna be ministering to people, the ways that you're gonna be poured out for him. He doesn't want you to have pockets of weakness. And so he's gonna work those things out. Lastly, the clay is put in storage up on a shelf. And the potter says, it is extremely beneficial to allow the fresh batch of clay to mature. Plasticity improves in this maturation. Plasticity is the ability to be modeled and then to retain the shape after drying. That's what plasticity means. So maturity in our faith means when God wants to mold us, we allow him to mold us and then we don't go back to the way we were before. That's maturity. So what is your plasticity this morning? Does he have an easy time molding you? Or can you sometimes be sort of stubborn and stiff? You know, and hard and he's got to really work at you. Even when the clay is finally removed from storage, it gets kneaded again before it can be used. All of this is preparation before the potter can even use the clay. And then the clay is formed into what the potter envisions. And in our text, it was thrown on the potter's wheel. That's important because a potter's wheel is generally used for vessels that actually have a purpose. They're not to be decorative and just stand there and look pretty or hold a bunch of, you know, decorative things. They're, they're functional. They're going to be pots that can be filled and poured out. God made you to use you. No matter what anybody's told you, he's made you to use you. So you put the ball of clay on the wheel, 
bring it up to high speed. I thought it was funny that one of the potters said the, the, the clay will try to fly off, which is so how we can be. God gets that wheel going and we're like, I'm out of here, you know. I don't want to let that sin go. I don't want to do that thing I'm supposed to do. I don't want to quit that job. I don't want to move to that place. I don't want to break up with that guy, right? But the potter just puts it back on, centers it, centers it, and wets his hands and begins to form it. Now, if you watch videos on a potter forming something on a wheel, they have a thing of water right here and they are constantly putting it in and pushing it on and then they're just glopping water on over and over as they're working the clay. There's so much water involved in the process. And I picture it like just, it's the touch of the Father. Like if you can, watch one of these videos because that's God and there's all this refreshing water and there's these warm hands that they know what they want to make with the clay. They build it up. They work it down, they do this one thing, and then the lip comes out. I mean, it's just amazing that what a skilled potter can do. And that's God with your life. He's working you right now. In our text, it was at this stage that the potter found a flaw in his clay. It said it was spoiled. The word is corrupt, injured, rotted. And that makes me think of what sin does to us. The quality of the clay determined what the potter could do with it. So we have to make sure we're always pushing toward God and righteousness and repenting of sin and keeping a short list of those things because the quality of your life is going to determine what God can do in your life. After being formed, the vessel is trimmed. And you can look at the tools. They're pointy and they're pokey and they don't look super comfortable, um, but that's what they use. God is gonna mold you, and then he's gonna care enough to trim and prune you of those things that aren't needed in his vision for you. Those things that aren't necessary, it might be a habit, it might be a relationship, an unnecessary excess. God's like, you're not gonna need that for the purpose I have for you. You're not gonna need that relationship. You're not gonna need that Thing. and he's going to trim pieces off of you as you're on there. Quote, in each case, the important common factor is the potter's awareness of the needs of the piece. The form receives exactly those additions it needs, neither more nor less, which are executed with admirable restraint. Ladies, he knows exactly who you are, how he's made you, who he's made you to be, and he shows restraint, things that you really think you need to fulfill his purpose, he's like, you don't need that. Trust me, I'm, I'm looking at you. You're good, girl. You don't need that. That sounds like God to me. He's aware of our needs. When the piece is complete, it goes into the fire to be set. Did you know that at 700 degrees, clay naturally releases water from within? It's naturally bonded chemically into the molecule. And so when it reaches that temperature, the water is released and an irreversible chemical change takes place. That's why once it's fired, it can't be changed. So that which God puts through the fire, 
is an irreversible change. Satan's going to try to put you through his fire and he's going to try to lock down some negative stuff in your life and tell you it can never change. And that's just a lie. That's not true. God is the only one that can put you through a refining fire that can bring irreversible change. And as you're in the fire, the living water comes from within. The Holy Spirit is working inside of you to make that change within the fire of God. So what if the piece is faulty before it gets fired? What if there's air bubbles or a bad spout or have you ever put your coffee mug in the microwave and then you can't even drink it because the handle is so hot? If it transmits heat into the handle, I hate that. That was one of the descriptions they gave. The potters say, no aesthetic merit can erase these faults. I don't care how pretty it looks. If that handle's hot, it's going in the trash. Like they just don't care. They say what is on the outside is, is not as important as the integrity of the piece. That's God this morning with you. He's more concerned about the integrity of who you are and you wanting to walk and be who he's created you to be than anything you can create on the outside. Potters place great value on each piece and they will break imperfect vessels and remake them again. They'll add water and knead it and start again. Has anyone here ever felt like God is kind of breaking an area of your life and he's just starting over in it a little bit? If you feel that way, he's not mad at you when you feel like an area of your life, if he's breaking it off or breaking it up, he's just planning to reshape you and remold you. So where are you in the potter's house this morning? Are you in a dry desert waiting to be saturated? Are you in storage made and shelved? I want to tell you if you've been wanting to serve and do stuff and you feel like you're in storage, God hasn't forgotten you. He's maturing you. He's maturing you right now in that storage. Are you on the wheel? but you know you're in the warm hands of the Father and He is shaping you. Are you on the wheel, but you're being jabbed at with metal instruments and He is pruning stuff off of you and removing scraps? By the way, when they remove scraps, they don't get thrown out. The potter will use those scraps for something else. So nothing's wasted. When God prunes stuff from your life in trials and hard times, he will use those things in your life or someone else's life. He redeems them. Were you broken? Are you being broken? Are you being pounded right now? Being remade again. Some of you here this morning struggle with this idea that God is so involved and interested in your life. Like he's got Hurricane Florence to deal with. Why does my life matter? Your life matters because he's your creator. He's the potter. Read one book on potters and you're going to see how much you matter because he is forming you and making you and he's passionate about you becoming what he's envisioned you to be. God knows your needs. He knows what you need and he's purposeful. If you let him have his way, he's going to pour out his love in you, through you, just like a vessel poured out. Yield to his hand on the wheel. 
Trust him as the master potter and know that he's working his best in your life. I want to pray. I'm going to close with praying for a particular thing. In Isaiah 45, the Israelites don't like how God was choosing to deliver them. He was choosing to deliver them using a foreign ruler. And this is what was told to them through Isaiah. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. That's straight up in the Bible. That's Yahweh talking. He's like, is the, is the piece of clay going to say to the potter, you don't have any hands. You are horrible at this, right? I want to pray for the women here that kind of feel this way. Where you're like, God, I'm sure you have some sort of plan, but I do not see it. I feel like I'm in some 101 pottery class at Las Positas, and, you know, you've done better work, but this is not, I don't see what you're doing here, that you kind of resonate. What are you doing? Do you, have you, are your hands tied behind your back and this is like a special game show thing or what? Because my life is not looking right. So I'm going to pray for that specific thing right now. God, I forgive me for the times where you, where I fought you as you were trying to prune things out of my life, relationships that I stubbornly clung to, sins that I did not want to get rid of, attitudes that were unhealthy, but you were molding me and forming me. Forgive me for the times that you had me on storage for maturity and I just shook my fist that you had forgotten me and abandoned me. I pray, God, for a revelation for all of the women here that every single woman would know that they are uniquely made by a skillful and passionate and loving potter who is working them on the wheel, who sees them as clay that he is forming, that he is intimately acquainted with every step. I pray, God, for those women this morning that feel like they have been, they look like something that a two-year-old made. They're just like, God, I don't know what you're doing. What is happening? I pray, God, for your peace to fall on them right now and for your Holy Spirit to fill them and that they would be filled with the assurance that comes supernaturally that knows by faith that everything's going to be okay, that my God is in this, that my God is working something. He is skilled. He is able. He is a master craftsman. He is a master potter and he knows what he's doing and he knows what I need and he knows what I don't need and I'm going to trust him. I pray for their faith to be built, for hope to fill them, that they would know how much you love them, that you have made them for such a time as this with their personality and their body and the color of their skin and the family that they're in and that you are going to pour out of their lives if they yield to you on the wheel. Let your peace rest in their hearts. Speak to them that they are valuable. They are not mass-produced. They are unique and loved and purposed. Thank you, God. We love you. Amen.